I lost a parent early on um, as a child uh, when I was in high school. And I think that sort of set up a path. I was really determined to pull out everything that I could from life's experiences and really track down everything that I thought would be fulfilling and every experience that I, that I, that I wanted and really sort of like tackle life um, because it's fleeting. Um, and you have to try and make the most of it. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs, boutique hotels, and hospitality brands, and the hosts, operators, and entrepreneurs who have brought them to life. Every Tuesday and Friday, you'll meet the military veterans, the retired flight attendants, tech entrepreneurs, the school teachers, the single moms, and the real estate investors who are all, in their own unique ways, shaping the future of travel and hospitality. Discover how these visionaries from all over the world have built chic cabins in the mountains, designed bohemian bungalows on the beach, erected eclectic off-grid and nature-immersed escapes, and so much more. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, the internet's best destination for last-minute Airbnb deals. You can subscribe for free at Spontaneous.com. And I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz, co-founder and CEO of Spontaneous. All right, friends, enjoy the show. So I met up with a few buddies a couple weeks ago for a happy hour, and we started talking about buying Airbnbs. Now, my friends are smart, savvy dudes in their late 20s and early 30s, and we all love discussing ways to diversify our investments, but few of us are interested in investing in real estate like our parents did. The whole like traditional single-family home thing seems, seems kind of boring to us, but we all admitted that owning a vacation home, or perhaps even a few vacation homes, was something that each of us was really interested in, something that we, that we all desire. Now, in my my friend group, I'm the resident short-term rental expert since I host this podcast. So naturally, the conversation morphed into a discussion, and we were talking about whether Airbnbs were actually worth the investment, what people do about property management, how investors in this space think about design and amenities of these homes, uh, etc. And and that's when it happened. One of my buddies remarked, "I just wish there was a way to you know try out the whole Airbnb ownership thing before actually pouring my life savings into a bungalow in Joshua Tree." His comment was truly serendipitous since I had literally just been acquainted with a new startup in the space called Summer, who helps investors do just that. And yes, you guessed it, folks. I reached out to Summer, and they were gracious enough to become a behind-the-stays partner. So I want to tell you a little bit more about their gradual ownership model. And I'm going to do so in just about 10 to 15 minutes from now. And I want to talk to you a little bit about why it's the smartest way to own a vacation home, especially if this is like your first vacation rental home. But first, Here's a quick teaser. When you partner with Summer, they help you find a vacation home that matches your criteria, and then they buy the home for you. Okay, so you pay a down payment for as little as 15%, and then get this, if after two years, you've realized that the vacation rental life just isn't for you, they will refund you your whole deposit. Like, no questions asked. Now, I really want those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, but don't own any of your own Airbnbs, or those of you who might like to have another one to two STRs in your portfolio, I want you to follow the link in the show notes below and learn more about how Summer might be the right partner for you to help you grow your business or to help you get into the space for the first time. So more deets to come soon. Get excited, folks. But for now, onto the show. Oh, and by the way, you can access the link, the special link to learn all things about Summer in the show notes below. But for now, back to the episode. 
In just a moment, we meet Jeremy Gall, founder and CEO of Breezeway, the leading property care, operations, and messaging platform for hospitality entrepreneurs. Growing up, Jeremy wanted to be a professional basketball player. And while he never made it into the NBA, he did make it into law school. But Jeremy's professional career as an attorney wouldn't last long because he was bit by that sneaky but ever so enticing entrepreneurial bug. Tune in to hear the exciting story of how Jeremy co-founded and built Flipkey, the first online marketplace for vacation rentals, which was ultimately acquired by TripAdvisor, why he built Breezeway, the industry's leading operations hub, and the opportunities that he sees for other hospitality innovators and entrepreneurs to build incredible companies over the next five years. All right, friends, without further ado, get ready to meet Jeremy. All right, we are live, Jeremy. How are you doing this fine day? I'm great, Zach. How are you? Thanks for uh, having me on. Spend some time chatting. Yeah, I uh, I'm excited to be chatting with you, man. And um, for our listeners, this is like the third or fourth time we've attempted to make this interview work, and um, I'm just excited that like we finally figured it out. The internet seems to be holding up so far, and um, yeah, we're we're in for like a, a real treat. Jeremy, you're somebody who I've been wanting to talk to for a while because you have like a pretty cool history in in vacation rentals and in prop tech, and you're like an entrepreneur. And I've been dying to hear first, you know, and, and foremost, obviously the the Breezeway story, but also a little bit about like the you know series of events that led to Breezeway. But one of my favorite questions to ask folks who come on this show right at the right at the top of the episode is if I were to have met Jeremy as a 10 year old, and if I were to have asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, what would he have said? Yeah, I would have said I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Um, and I wouldn't have known any better. Uh, <laughs> you would have found me, you know, nerding out over some Legos and model trains and a bunch of other uh, toys and just endlessly playing basketball. That's awesome. Were you, um, were you like, did you, were you pretty competitive? Like, were you decent at basketball? No, I was at 10. I was, um, probably like the shortest person in my class oh, no. uh, <laughs> and just dreamed of being tall. And, um, I think I finally just wished it into existence, you know, so now I'm like six, two. Okay. Uh, hey. At the time I was the smallest, I was like the smallest kid. I feel like fifth and sixth grade are like, those are like the weird years where you've got like the giants and then also just like, you know, the midgets. And, and it's just funny to see how, you know, growth spurts hit people at, different ages. I remember like one of my closest friends, he was very, 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 very short um, in fifth and sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, he literally like, it seemed like over a summer, I'm sure it was longer than that, but it seemed like he grew like 11 inches over a summer. It was insane. <laughs> he came back and I distinctly remember like the teachers being like, like, I'm sorry, who are you? Like he was, he was almost unrecognizable because of just like the dramatic shift. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Um, I've got a daughter in sixth grade and she plays basketball and she's quite tall. Um, and the juxtaposition between her, uh, you know, she's taller than the coaches. She's taller <laughs> than the ref. Um, it's really funny. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, I, we could talk about basketball all day. Um, but I, I want to hear a little bit more about, about you and, and your story. 
And when I was stalking you, Jeremy, in in preparation for this this interview, I was uh, excited and and also just you know somewhat surprised, quite frankly, to to discover that you studied uh, economics, you studied studio art, you graduated from law school, and you know then you became a successful entrepreneur. And I, I th- those things sort of seem juxtaposed in and of themselves. They 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 don't quite fit together as as clearly, uh, at least from my perspective. So I want to hear like what the through line is. Like like how how do you make sense of all of the various things that you've done, that you've studied, the different opportunities that you've had? Like what what do you think is like consistent about Jeremy? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know. Um, uh, I think this happens. I lost a parent early on um, as a child oh, wow. uh, when I was in high school. And I think that sort of set up a path where um, um, I was really determined to pull out everything that I could from life's experiences mm. and really track down everything that I thought would be fulfilling and every experience that I, that I, that I wanted and really sort of like tackle life um, because it's fleeting um, and you have to try and make the most of it. And so I don't know if law school and being a lawyer fits, that might be the one that like is sort of like a little sideways in that soliloquy. Uh, I don't know if law school is, you know, like capturing all the joy of life uh, <laughs> or being, or being a lawyer, but um, you know, I was eager to just like um, pursue every experience that I could. And so um Economics was a great, you know, between economics and law, those are two of the main things that like drive human behavior um, and drive the world. Um, I did study studio art. My father was an architect. I thought for a minute, maybe I wanted to be an architect as well. Um, But I think that created the creativity of studio art and arts in general, um, combined with economics and some practicality. Uh, makes for a good background for an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about sort of like one, just, you know, the ability to understand at least in basic terms, how the economy works, how money flows, why it flows in that particular way. And then also, right. Like studying law, understanding, I I know that, I don't know if you've like specialized in like business law or anything per se, but like just getting a, a general understanding of how like society works and like what is legal and like how you can, you know, get around to the law when, when needed. Um, yeah, that, that does seem sort of like a, a, a very interesting sort of like foundation to, to then build an entrepreneurial career off of. And, and in fact, like I do know several entrepreneurs who went to law school and there must be, there must be something about you, you lawyers where you're like in law school, you're kind of like, you know, I don't know anyone that like loved law school. My wife's an attorney and, you know, her and her friends complain about it all the time. Um, it's still to this day. It's like, it's like, that's the, that was like the worst season of their lives. Um, so I don't know that anyone enjoys law school per se, but it does seem that there's a special type of like entrepreneur who did law school. They just seem more like composed. They seem more thoughtful. Maybe they're just better at like using their words. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I have a deep, I, I've, I, I, I've always loved the entrepreneurs that I've met that are lawyers. Like I, there's, there's just something about you, you breed of people that, uh, that I find interesting. Maybe they're just so happy that they're not lawyers anymore. <laughs> also. Uh, that, that seeps through their personality. Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, well, I want to talk about Flipkey because 
Flipkey was, and, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was sort of like Airbnb before Airbnb, right? You guys, you guys were like the OG Airbnb. Um, and I, I want to hear a little bit about like the founding story. So, where did the idea for Flipkey come from? What were the series of events that led up to to launching Flipkey? And then what ended up happening with Flipkey? Yeah, so I think um, <clears throat> good friend of mine, TJ Mahoney. Um, had a condo in Boston. He was traveling a lot for work as a consultant. It was sitting unused. He was an economics major as well. We were thinking about, you know, like the lack of sort of productive use of this resource, which was his house, his condo that he'd bought, and how it was just sitting there empty. And we were like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if you could, if you'd rent this out? Yeah. That was like one sort of kernel. Another. Um, then we started thinking about the sharing economy uh, was just kind of kicking into gear. That was just new terminology. Um, and we debated what we would call our burgeoning marketplace. Um, and we, we picked Flipkey because at the time we thought it would be great for exchanging any high value asset. Mm. If it was valuable enough that you locked it, you would flip the keys to somebody else. Um, and that's how you would share it. Um, and there would be this like easy access in a, a system for that. Um, and then as part of that search, we realized, well, we're kind of boiling the ocean if we try and like help people rent anything yeah. for any amount of time. It's pretty challenging. Um, and I went down to Wilmington, North Carolina to a vacation rental managers association meeting. Um, and they were talking just at this time. HomeAway was also purchasing VRBO, rolling up a few of these listing sites, a um, little bit of a dogfight between rent by owners and property managers, lack of brand awareness, uh, lack of guest reviews, sort of like understanding and a lack of a way for people, whether they had one property or they had hundreds, a real lack uh, of, you know, to help differentiate yourself. Yeah showcase that you were really good at it because there was no, there were no third party reviews. And we were like, okay, this is it. This will be like our entry point, which will be third party reviews, help people build some brand awareness and help them tell the world how good they are because reviews weren't really a thing at that point. Yeah. So while we're doing that, um, uh, TripAdvisor at the same time was thinking about getting into vacation rentals um, as a new category. It's really funny. People at the time, I would say to people, oh, we're starting this like marketplace for vacation rentals. And they would say like, what's that? <laughs> uh, and I would say like, you know, you rent a house at the beach or you go like on a ski weekend and you stay at a house. People are like, oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And we're like, yeah, that's it. It's a thing. There's a lot of them and a lot of people do it. And people are like, oh yeah, cool. Never thought of that. Um, and so then, um, you know, we, we decided to do a strategic partnership with TripAdvisor um, to help grow that business. Wow, wow, what a what a cool story! And it's so funny to think that like that wasn't that long ago, right? That people were like, "Wait, oh, I I'd never thought about like renting a house on the internet, right? And, and like booking a place to stay." Uh, for, with my family for a week this summer via a website, right? Like that. This was this was like truly revolutionary at the time, and yet. You know, it's been it's been a while, but it hasn't been that long, right? And this is just obviously commonplace today. Like, there, there's no other way you would book a place. 
It's it's totally true. It's not that long ago. 2010, it was still debatable. Seems crazy to say. Yeah. It was debatable how much people would actually book vacation homes online. And if you think about it, from a consumer perspective, um, unless you're buying, you know, maybe a car, um, but your annual vacation, you know, is, is typically one of the things that you'll end up spending the most amount of money on. Yeah. And the accommodations is one of the most expensive things that you could, that you could purchase. So um, ma- turning that into an online transaction, you know, people were not doing that. They were mailing checks um, at the time. It was really fascinating. Wow. Wow. That is so crazy. Brendan and Helen, I want to hear the story behind how you both first became acquainted with with Summer. How did you how did you discover Summer to to begin with, Brendan? So a very close friend of mine, we'll just call him Jay. He uh, had been working for several years in like the real estate startup businesses and market. And he had come to know uh, one or both of Summer's founders. Helen, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go first over to, to you here. When, when you first heard about Summer's like business model and, and how it all worked, what did you think about it? Had you guys considered a vacation home before? Was this, was this your first vacation home? I think for us, um, we had always talked about it, thought about it. You know, we weren't necessarily set on the location where we were sort of dreaming big and, you know, always talking about where that would be. I think the thing with summer was it was easier to make that a reality, right? Like they sort of laid out the steps on a timeline that was way faster than we ever thought could be possible to have that second ownership. And I think the incentive for us was really like, the idea of taking advantage of the summer house now while our kids are still around and interested in being with us and hanging out with us rather than, you know, saving for retirement for that second home, dream home down the road. I'm curious, what was the process like actually finding and and ultimately uh, acquiring the home. Can you walk us through sort of how Summer helps facilitate that or helps kind of like hold your hand? So I think we really appreciated what Summer offered, which was first a realtor that could help vet homes in a way that was a bit more strategic. Like, would this location be good for rental? Would it not? Thinking about those terms was really helpful to have. And would this home perform in a way that would be helpful for, you know, as an investment? So that was the first step. And the second step was just the acquiring process. They were really hands-on, really proactive in terms of putting in an offer, doing due diligence. Yeah, I would say not only that, but they like literally did the work, right? Like... They had an inspector, then they had like specialists come and look at things and they did it all within a matter of days. And we were interested in what was happening, so they kept us informed. But honestly, like we didn't really have to do anything. If something doesn't check out, 
or you know something isn't right about the model like we'll figure it out in the next few years and we won't buy the house one of the things that i know that they they help out with is the beyond the actual acquisition of the home is the the design kind of like the furnishing of the home and then ultimately like the listing of the home on otas like like airbnb what what was the process of the of the you know redesign or or refurnishing how, how did that work so we had a you know a designer who had great furniture sources and they had access to stuff that we didn't have so i feel like i did get my dream house in terms of design and and summer was able to realize that and it's not anything that we could have done on our own especially living far away and having the time to to source all the stuff well, one last question on that front how did how does it work in terms of like the budgeting for that like does summer say hey you know, our redesign, rehab, you know, uh, the furnishing budget is is X, and then you guys kind of play within that budget, or like how how do you guys determine how much is spent on on sort of getting the home ready for for guests? So there is a fixed amount. They set it. Um, I forget exactly what it was, but it was enough to fill the house, and they definitely benefit from local sourcing and you know the fact that they have a number of properties in a certain area things like that yeah i think it was helpful too like i had an idea of one room doing like big bold bright colors kind of like miami style which wasn't really like the look of the hudson valley and so we had to sort of tone that down but it made sense though from a you know airbnb short-term rental perspective like not everyone is going to want something that crazy so that was actually really helpful <laughs> we could buy a house we could set it up as an airbnb we could list it on airbnb right they have access to scale and data that we don't that makes them a smart choice thank you both so much for your time this is great i'm so glad and excited for you guys that you've uh or you're you know halfway through sort of this uh, beta test with your vacation home sounds like you guys have already been able to make incredible memories there. It's very, very exciting. Uh, and for those tuning in, if you want to learn a little bit more about summer and explore whether or not summer might be a great option for you, you can find all the details to their website and more information on their product offerings in the show notes below. Was how did, like, so Airbnb, obviously, you know, they, they, had multiple like starts right but like I, if you really go back i think in t 2008 right around the you know um uh obviously financial crisis but also sort of like obama's first uh campaign that that was they made like their like the infamous like obama owes right as a as a marketing strategy a way to make a little bit of money to be able to pay their bills <clears throat> so they were like around during during this season but how, like did you did you guys interface at all like was there a, was there an understanding that you guys were building and 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 again they they are, theirs was a little bit of a different model at least at the beginning right which was theirs was really like renting a room in somebody else's home and it sounds like flip keys model from pretty much the beginning was like no 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 like you're you're going to rent the whole home like was there yeah. any interfacing that happened or or were you guys like totally sort of in the dark about each other I don't know. Um, I've never met Brian Chesky. Um, we knew what they were up to. We thought they were doing something that's just like really special. Yeah. Um, I remember our product manager at, at Flipkey very early in 2009, probably, you know, um, talking about Airbnb and talking about some of the really interesting things they were doing. 
um, for online transactions and booking and search um, and what they were doing in the, like, the shared room space. Yeah. Um, and I think we expected uh, they wouldn't stay there, that they would start moving into vacation rentals. But we were really also as part of being part of TripAdvisor at the time, we were already part of TripAdvisor and Expedia, very focused on the home away, VRBO, whole home, traditional vacation market. Yeah. And we were growing so quickly in that space uh, with a lot of room to grow. We just, that was our market. And that's what we were going to, that's what we were going to stick to. Yeah. First professional managers and then owners. And then if we needed to move into shared space later, we could. Um, and, you know, I mean, Airbnb is a generational company, um, really incredible story. Um, and, you know, it's just like um, incredible, just like growth yeah. that they were able to pull off. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like that must have been like such a cool moment, right? Where you, I mean, you guys are, you guys are building a product that like by and large is what we know of Airbnb to be like today. Right. And yet like, yeah. it's just, it's just so, it's so amazing to think about how, how even just 10 years, 10, 14, you know, uh, and, and some change years ago, this, this like, wasn't a thing. Like you couldn't, you couldn't book a place to stay through an app. Like you just couldn't. Right. Um, that like, yeah. that especially, especially a vacation rental, like maybe, I don't even know if you could book hotel rooms through an app. 10, 14 years ago, but probably 10 years ago. I don't know about 14 years ago, but still like this was all, this was also novel when, when you guys were eventually aligned with TripAdvisor, what, what was like, what, what was the strategic like interest there? Right. Did, did they own, were they already owned by Expedia at this juncture? Is that correct? They were. Okay. Yep. Okay. Got it. So, so they had, they, they were owned by Expedia and then you said Expedia was, was rolling up HomeAway and and Verbo, which was then just VRBO. So this the flip key uh, acquisition was sort of just like in tandem with with all of that. Like, what what was it about Flipkey that you think made sense for the the TripAdvisor deal? Yeah, I think our we were doing something. I think what we were doing with guest reviews yeah. was similar enough to how TripAdvisor was growing you know, incredibly rapidly, especially back in 2008, growing incredibly rapidly in the travel space yeah. with user-generated content and reviews. And we had figured out a system that worked well with TripAdvisor, but was a little different. Mm. It had a few unique elements to it around how reviews were managed, how they were collected and sort of monitored to make sure that they were appropriate for someone's private home, mm, right? Yeah. Usually when you're when you're reviewing someone's home, it is a business, but it isn't a business, right? And so it's a little different than just wide open reviews on the Marriott down the street where anybody should be able to leave a review on TripAdvisor and just say, this place is great, it isn't. Yeah. And it's also a little different, right? Like <clears throat> when you're reviewing Marriott and there's a hundred rooms yeah. that you could choose from yeah. there's high throughput of reviews right reviewing an individual home there may only be 25 people who stay there in the entire year yeah and so the volume of reviews is so different you have to think about the validity of reviews and um yeah i'll leave it at that you have to think <laughs> about the validity of reviews in a in a different way yeah 
And I think that's what was attractive to TripAdvisor and that's what was attractive to the industry. And just a weird sort of historical point, like HomeAway at this point, totally separate company. Expedia buys HomeAway, I don't even know when, but many, many years later. Yeah. So Expedia owned Trip, Trip owned us or had a good strategic partnership with us. Eventually then TripAdvisor separates from Expedia as its own entity. So then for a little while you have... TripAdvisor, Expedia, and HomeAway as separate entities. <laughs> then buys HomeAway, um, including VRBO, then rebrands it Verbo. Um, you know, it's convoluted. Yeah, it is. I feel like that that whole conglomerate is is especially convoluted. Like, I feel like depending on who you talk to and like what the year was, people have a very different understanding of like who owned who. Right? <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But to Brian, Chus- but to Brian Chesky and the founding team's credit at Airbnb. Um, uh, you know, they pursued their own strategy, um, never joined up with, with HomeAway, um, or with Expedia or anybody else, um, to really build, um, an amazing travel company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is, it, it totally like revolutionized, um, the, the space. Um, what, what quick last question on this and then we can move on. But, uh, with, with the reviews, were you guys doing the whole, like, Hey, guest submits review. Oh, and but the the owner of the home or the manager of the home can't read guest review until they leave a review. Was it was it a dual review system at the time, or was it just the guest that would review the stay? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the original tagline—I don't know if it was the first tagline for Flipkey, but it was one of the first—was "trusted homes, trusted people," mm. and it was meant to be a two-way review process. Um, where then also your rating as a person um, would help you um, establish trust when you went to rent the next place, yeah. right? Which was really, really important. So we thought about that early on. By the time we were building tons of things, um, we scrapped it um, in favor of just a review on the property. Okay. Uh, but, the, but that review had to be solicited by the manager um, and tied into the booking records so that we could we could validate that it was an, an appropriate guest. The, re- the reason I ask uh, in particular is that I, I feel like, uh, if for, in, in my memory anyways, uh, Airbnb's sort of like review system, right? The way that it worked was was unique and novel. Like I, I've never had another review experience quite like that. Since then, you know, you, you think of the sharing economy in general, uh, Uber drivers can review you can review the driver, they can review you, right? Um, it's really just, I guess, rate you. It's not even really a review. Uh, but but that whole concept of like the two-way review and not being able to know what the other person said about you until like you wrote a review, I mean, that was that was like totally unique at, at, yeah. at the time, right? Um, and to this day, yeah. I think is like one of the most unique things about, you know, platforms like Airbnb is is that ability to to wonder, what did Jeremy say about me? <laughs> you, know? uh, you might, you might, um, you might scrap, you might, um, you might edit this part out, but I'll tell you quickly on the side. Um, we thought about this and we actually pursued two different patents. Um, the second one, the one I'm about to describe, we scrapped, but we were really interested in this concept of, um, like vicarious trust. Mm. So if you invited me, and you said that I'm a good person. Um, 
my my score, my trust score would be influenced by yours. Mm. Um, and I could establish a level of trust even before I'd rented a home, right? Huh. Um, but if I if you invited me and then I turned out to be a bad renter, that would also have an effect on your your score would go down. So you would only invite me and give me a good score if you felt like I was actually going to live up to it, right? So that so that the network effect of trying to figure out ahead of time, because one of the things we were thinking about is like, how do you establish trust ahead of time? Yeah. When they're so thin, it's not a problem for Airbnb now, but I would imagine it was a problem for them at the beginning as well, where like no one has a rating. Yeah, yeah. When no one has a rating. It's hard to feel like you could trust this guest. And again, remember like the mindset in 2008, 2010 is, whoa, how are we going to get these online transactions to happen? Yeah, The homeowner probably doesn't, you know, it's a lot of money for the guests. The homeowners never met the person. How do we like smooth out the transaction? And I think probably we were all overthinking it. Yeah. And in fact, like it's just such a pain to book a vacation home and not purchase it online that like the friction of doing that made it so that everybody wanted to do it anyway. I remember reading um, an article or maybe it was even just seeing like a, a news clip or a YouTube video interview with um, with Brian Chesky. And I remember one of the things uh, one of the things he was saying in this interview was, you know, we we were just betting early on that like most people like were good. Right. Like like it like right. in essence, like the the sharing economy and this is this is true of of uber and airbnb like you know any sort of, this is true for TaskRabbit, right like any sort of platform that you use any sort of marketplace like that you use today where there is a buyer and a seller a giver and a receiver especially when it's something as intimate as staying in your your home or sharing a car with somebody it, it is it does not work without trust right it, 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 like money is irrelevant if 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 trust isn't there and it's crazy in some respects to think that I get in a car very regularly with somebody I have never met and yeah. they can take me literally anywhere. And I could, I, I, I don't know. I, I really could end up in a ditch. Like, it, you know, it, and yet I don't think twice about it most of the time. And it's right. just remarkable what these, these companies have been able to do in helping us just build trust with total strangers. And the only yeah. way that they're able to do that at least in theory, is because most people are good. <laughs> yeah, most people are good. And then, um, I don't know, there's a deeper analogy there probably, Zach, to run back to vacation rentals, which is like, you believe that that person is a good driver. Yeah. Uh, because they have a driver's license, right? Yeah. And so yeah. they have to go through some process to get that license. You believe appropriately that Uber did some background check on them, made sure that they're an okay person, um, got some validation that their car is okay, made them take some pictures of their car, et cetera, so that they're they're trying to control that experience, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's no, you know, a lot of people can put up their homes. Um, there's a pretty low barrier to entry. Yeah, you have to be a homeowner. Um, so that's something. Uh, and you have to want to go through it. And now there's more licensing and regulation. We can put that aside. More to my point, um, you really do have to believe that these people are good. And I think one of the things we've learned um, over the last dozen years in vacation rentals is that most people are good. Yeah. 
Many people are incredible mm. um, at doing this, very dedicated, certainly professional managers. They run a giant business, you know, they run businesses doing this and they're dedicated to their craft of hospitality and delivering on that. But there are some operators who are not great at it. Yeah. Um, where the quality is, there's high variability in the quality. And I think this is a very interesting time um, in the industry because professionalism and quality are at the forefront and we've done a great job getting all the supply together and getting it online, making it bookable, Airbnb and OTAs and even individual property managers have invested a lot in making the search and the discovery of vacation homes and short-term rentals much better. Yeah. So you can find them, you can book them. Um, but there's still a little bit of a quality issue. Yeah. And now the next step, and we're starting to see it, is like, if you don't meet those quality standards, you're just being slowly demoted and demoted into irrelevance. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a host. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, is like actually a perfect segue into <laughs> the the Breezeway story, right? In in terms of like, in, in a sense, what, what you guys are trying to do, which is help property managers help folks who are in the hospitality business be able to have a better grip on their operations better understand right hey are our respective teams living up to the kind of value and the kind of service that we that we want to deliver and if so or i should say if not how do we how do we course correct right how do, how do we fix that so talk to us a little bit about like after flip key right uh you where where does the idea of breezeway come from is it, is it really just this recognition that as the industry started to professionalize there was a a dearth of operational uh platforms for folks to be able to like manage their businesses at scale or what was the opportunity that you saw um the opportunity was that i thought um marketing your home not just the work that Airbnb had done or, you know, some of the limited success that we saw at Flipkey and what Verbo and Homeway were doing, um, but also what vacation rental managers were doing on their own websites, mm. like the professionals were doing on their own websites. But like the marketing solutions for your property, that that part of the business was a pretty well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, but that consumer expectations, and look, Airbnb was buying Hotel Tonight. Vacation rentals weren't just on TripAdvisor. They were mixed in in Expedia and Booking.com. Um, awareness of vacation rentals was going through the roof. Um, but people really cared about what the experience was going to be like. Yeah. And we're beginning to think, should I stay in a, should I stay in a hotel? Should I stay in a vacation rental or a short-term rental? Urban rentals were popping up. Um and I knew from my days at Flipkey and working with lots of managers and hosts, how hard the operational burden mm. of actually delivering on the guest experience is. Um, as I was leaving Flipkey, we bought a vacation home in South Carolina, um, watching that be run and seeing how the operation behind that and everything that's involved in the hundreds of points of failure that can happen <laughs> before every guest comes it's operationally very complex. And um, that's the beauty of this industry. That's the magic, but that's also part of the pain and the burden. Yeah. And then talking to property managers who used to be my clients and, my, and are my friends, I said, now, how does your maintenance program work? How do you think about asset management? How do you think about property care? Yeah. And they were like, 
they, they were basically like, it's a disaster. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a disaster and it's really, really hard. And I thought that like, this is an area where property management software systems, um, it's challenging to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, and I figured this is a tough business. It's not super high margin. You can make great money. Um, you can build nice wealth and a good business doing it, but it's hard earned. It's hard work. Yeah. And everything you can do to simplify the operation and deliver more on the experience and the service will be a benefit to you. And if there's a good reason for a, sounds like a very good reason for a point solution. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. Do you think the reason PMS systems haven't done a better job at like building out like an ops hub is, is just because of quite frankly, how different everyone's operations are like, like when you think about, when you think about sort of like a traditional vacation rental manager, right. They need a website, right. Like, and you think about like the core challenges that a lot of PMSs uh, solve, right. You, you, you need some sort of a, a place to like list your listings, right. Some ability, hopefully for people to book direct some integration with the OTAs, you need some sort of messaging capabilities. You need some sort of like revenue management tools. Right. And, and by and large, regardless of like your business, obviously there are, there are, PMS, great PMS companies that specialize in, you know, smaller operations versus versus larger companies, right? And they've built out tooling with a more enterprise customer in mind or, or more of a starter customer in mind. But generally speaking, these businesses in, in terms of like the property management solution that they need, it, it's pretty, it's pretty similar, right? Like people are, people need those tools that I just described. Whereas when it actually comes to operationally uh, figuring out like their business, there's so much variance because everyone's different and everyone has different teams. Some people are wearing 17 hats. Other people, you know, have a team of 17 people where everyone has their own hat. So do you think that that's the real reason why like PMSs haven't gotten into the space or like, like that's surprising to me that there, there, there hasn't, there isn't a more robust operations hub that's been built by these, by these tools. Yeah, I think they're getting there. I think they are all, uh, well, let's see. Maybe let's rewind the clock a little bit, you know, <laughs> back to 2017 when we started doing this, um, you know, there were PMS systems who did a little bit of this at the edges, Yeah, um, but it's a complicated, it's hard. Operations alone is a pretty complex product. Think about all the task management systems from Asana to Monday yeah. to, you know, Workday. I mean, 
and then there's there's tons of them, and then there's industry specific ones, yeah, um, much like Breezeway. Um, but it's really complicated, yeah, and that's a giant piece of software to build for any PMS, yeah. and I think they've got their hands full. The PMS business is like all businesses is competitive. Um, there are competitive dynamics that they have to keep up with each other. Um, the APIs are changing. The landscape is changing. Uh, the functionality and the features that their clients are demanding just on the rev- reservation side, mm. deeper and deeper functionality on the reservation and accounting side, those demands are evolving yeah. and it's a lot to keep up with. Then, you know, so that's a big chunk of, it's a big chunk of work. And then there's just, you know, four other things that they have to be really good at and they have to make a decision. Like, yeah. Are we going to be really, really good at all of these things? Or are we going to be really, really good at this, kind of good at this, and we'll lean on partners to help round out our functionality here? Yeah. And I think they correctly, and maybe, yeah, I'd like to think that in the intervening years since 2017, over the last seven years, we've made this decision a little easier for them. Yeah. yeah we're pretty good at this. Yeah. And um, for them to be pretty good at it, they've got to invest a lot and they could probably differentiate themselves by investing in, in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through sort of like a, a core, just an example or two of like how your power users, right. At Breezeway, like what are they doing with the platform? Like how, how, how are they actually like using it day in and day out? Cause I think we say things like operations, right. Mm, and that can mean yeah. like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Totally. It's a, it's a loaded word. I don't love it. I, gotta, I, gotta be honest. I, don't, I don't love it. Um, it's really, um, you know, conceptually you have to think about like, it's the work of being a great host or a manager. Mm. Like what's the work that goes into that? You have a guest, they're going to come stay with you. Think about all the things that need to be done to actually execute on a great stay or a great experience at the property. Yeah. The property needs to be cleaned. You probably want to do a quality assurance inspection. You may have to do some routine preventative maintenance. You may have certain tasks that you want to do that are specific to the type of guest that's coming, welcome baskets, notes, whatever it is. Kids are coming, pets. Um, You may offer other amenities and services at the property, bicycles, airport transfer, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. There's a, there's a whole list of operationalized tasks that need to happen. And in fact, many of them are tailored to your property. Yeah. Um, they're tailored to your business and then they're tailored to your property. And if you have more than one property, chances are each one is different than the other one. Yeah. And you're trying to and you're trying to make sure that both get done in a similar manner to your brand standard. Um, so that they meet this like hospitality level preparedness. So what they're doing in Breezeway is they're setting up automated tasks. They're setting up personalized checklists that sort of self-learn about the property Mm. so that you can have a brand standard and then it can be tailored to the unique aspects of each property. You're setting up maintenance and recurring inspections. You're integrating Breezeway with your locks so that you can then know when the guest has left and Mm. you can tell your cleaners to come in early. So you're setting up all the tasks that need to happen and you're automating that in advance. And then you're watching and making sure that they get done. And what ends up happening, anyone who's a host 
um, anyone who manages any number of properties knows every week is different. <laughs> Checkouts aren't always on the same day. You might not be able to rely on the same cleaners. Uh, you might have to bring in different maintenance people or service providers. If you have more than one ho home and you're running a really big business, people are calling in and out sick. Things are changing. Guests are changing their checkout dates. They're staying longer. They're leaving early. It, it's, it's dynamic. Yeah. And you need to be able to adjust to that. So if a system can help you adjust automatically, can take a lot of that burden off of you. So that's, the, that's a big use story, you know, user story of how people use Breezeway on the operational side. Yeah. We have a host of other products, which I won't bore you with all the details, but two of the other big ones, we have a messaging platform. So as the guest is preparing to come, um, automated communication can be sent to the guest. Yeah. It can sync with Airbnb um, and be delivered through Airbnb messaging or through your property management software system so that the guest gets a text that feels personalized to them, but you actually automate it and sort of help standardize the experience of it. If they write back, they tell you, yeah, I actually have a question about the fireplace. You can then turn that into a one-on-one -on -one conversation, answer their question, link something to a service task within the Breezeway operations platform um, and actually reply to them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, There's a ton more, but that's just a couple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an incredibly like robust you know, platform. And, and one of the things that sticks out about, about what you said, right, is this idea that everything in this business, right, is, is so variable. Like, I, I think some of the, some of the critique that you hear from, from folks is like, when it comes to automated messaging in particular, people are like, I, it's just too, it's just too complicated because it's too different and it's too unique. And I, and, and today, right, everyone can, everyone knows when like, there's an automated message that's coming in and like, people can kind of discern, you know, people hate feeling like they're being tricked, right? And and today, like people are pretty savvy and knowing whether something's automated or not. And so, some of the critique that folks have around specifically like messaging and and, and automation there is like it's just too cumbersome to make it sound you know unique. It's or, or to make it sound like me. And every situation is just so unique that I just I just don't want to deal with it. But then in turn, they're drowning right in like. Yeah. In, in in all the people that they have to message and everything that they've got to stay on top of and God forbid their phone die for three hours, right? And they can't get back to people. So it's just, it, it I think for, for professionals in particular and as, as, you know, entrepreneurs kind of scale their businesses, like solutions like this are just, um, they're just, they're just necessary. Like at least having a baseline. So you, you can rest assured knowing nothing is going to go dramatically wrong. And then of course, supplement as needed or as desired uh, by, by you and or your, your, your respective guest. Yeah. So to that point, um, we launched in April last year, another product called assist mm. where you can, you can pass your messaging response burden off to our team uh, and a team of hospitality professionals employed by Breezeway will answer um, guest SMS and telephone phone calls on your behalf wow. as part of your brand. Huh. And they will do that within Breezeway so that you'll have a full record of how they answered on your behalf. They'll leverage all the information that we know about your property in Breezeway um, if it's a routine task that needs to be created, guest is writing in and saying the toilet is dripping, but it's not an emergency. Great. 
They'll create a task in Breezeway. You can see it the next morning, assign it at your leisure to your service provider. If it's an emergency, our team will call you until they get you on the phone and say, hey, you know what? Like, this is one you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Like, we yeah. can answer We can answer almost all of them, but this is, you know, your house is on fire. Like, Amazing. You yeah. Um, so it's a combination of how to bring in that sort of personalization um, because I think you're right. People don't like to be tricked, but people also, um, hey, look, if I go stay in a hotel, really a nice hotel, and they send me a text message the next morning and it's, I don't care if it's automated or not. And they're just like, hey, Jeremy, like, how's your stay going? Yeah. Reply back if there's something we can help you with. Yeah. Like, Great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It just, I don't it, want 10 of that. I don't want, I don't want that 10 times. I don't want yeah. that every day. Yeah. 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 But, but like, it, it, it just, it shows you that like somebody's aware, like there's somebody that's, somebody's that's there, like that's there if you need them. Right. It, it's just, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a very easy reminder. Um, if they send me that message and I couldn't write back to that, if it's a no reply uh, text, those are the worst. Yeah. That's annoying. Right. <laughs> if they send me 10, that's annoying. But think about if they don't send, think about the difference between it being automated or they don't send me one at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, send me an automated message. Let me know you're thinking about me. And if I make it so easy, yeah. truly what I think about that is not whether it's automated. What you've done is you've opened up a really, you, you've understand your guests, you're communicating to them in an asynchronous way. That's such a light touch yeah. where you've made it so easy for them to request something and be additive to the experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think especially in this, in this market, right, uh, in this in this category of stay, vacation rentals, like some of the biggest critique that they have is, and, and why like people prefer hotels is being able to go down to the front desk, being able to ask the concierge, like, hey, I have a problem or I need this or I want this or whatever. That's just, that's very, very hard to replicate in this particular context. So all the more reason why you want communications that are being sent to, to make sure people are okay. Because chances are you don't have a concierge at your vacation rental that's available 24 seven, right? Like that's, that's just true for most people. And yet travelers, right? Will people will be more likely to stay in these sorts of, uh, in these sorts of accommodations if they can be assured that they'll be treated as if they would be treated by the hotel concierge. Like if that is true, people will stay in vacation rentals, you know, more. Um, and, and I think the problem is that's 50, 50 at best <laughs> today. 50, 50 at best. There's still that variability in quality. Yeah. Number one. And then number two, like really hard. But I do think this is where the industry is going. A lot more personalization. Yeah. Um, understanding more about your guest and then dynamically changing or trying to um, trying to address the personality of the guest yeah. and how you interact with them and how you communicate with them. Because vacation rentals have done a great job keyless entry, let yourself in kind of faceless. Yeah. Right? You show up and it's pretty faceless and automated. You don't have to interact with anyone, which is the beauty of it. Yeah. But having a building a little bit of a personal connection, um, is also like very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, as we wrap here, um, final couple questions for you. One is just around a lot of the folks that are listening to this podcast are they're entrepreneurs in their own right, right? They're building a lot of folks that listen to the show are building like really unique stays. They might be building a portfolio of tree houses or like, you know, a bunch of cool cabins in the smoky mountains, right? Like this is a little bit more of an entrepreneurial, uh, audience. 
So uh, I want to hear from you, right, as an entrepreneur, like, where do you see opportunity in this space? Like if there's somebody who's listening to this conversation right now and maybe they've built a little cool, unique state portfolio, but they're, you know, interested in doing something else or they've decided, hey, I love this industry and I want to build, I want to build something in it. Like where do you see opportunity for a young, hungry entrepreneur today? <clears throat> yeah, I love those unique days. I think um, a young, hungry entrepreneur in the vacation rental space um, I think there will be a lot of, you know, I think I already mentioned personalization, but we're at the early stages. It might not feel this way. Yeah. We are still at the early stages of professionalism, quality, and consistency. Mm. Um, tools and new businesses and opportunities to help drive consistency and quality in the vacation rental and short-term rental space will be highly valued in the future. Mm. Um, whether that's new marketplaces that think about how do we standardize all these unique, authentic homes and find the common denominator between them and market that yeah. in a way that's really interesting to travelers. Like that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, that's different than, you know, that's a little different than what Airbnb can do because they're just so big and there's yeah. so much, they've already inherited this variability sort of um, dynamic. Um, that's where I would focus. And I would, you know, I would work hard at it, get lots of feedback, um, talk to lots of people as you're building it, you know, to validate and refine your, your, your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think that there's a, there's massive opportunity in, in, in that particular category. And, you know, you see some people, uh, you know, some people might be familiar with like the 100 collection, which is like, uh, I think one attempt to try to do something in sort of the standardization. How do we help ensure that people have, let, let's build like a consumer facing brand where people can essentially like, you know, rent stays from top uh, property managers. And, and I think like that's, that's still pretty like niche and very, you know, specific, but I think things like that um, will be, will be very interesting or, you know, or even things like Michael Golden's doing with like storied collection, um, which is a, a really cool example of like a curated, list of castles and manor houses that you can stay in right i, I think that in sh figuring out finding a way to uh, focus on some sort of like niche find a way to standardize quality around that niche there if, if you do that there's there's just loads of opportunity so um yeah i, I get excited about all this stuff jeremy and i just want to thank you for for you know pioneering a lot of this for us, right? Like you were, you, 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 you were there in like the early days when this concept was of booking a place via an app or via a website was just so novel. So it's cool. Yeah. It's cool to be able to chat with you and hear a little bit about your history, a little bit about what you're doing now. And I'm just excited to continue to see what you do next. Yeah. We've got a lot of great things. Um, we released a couple new products last year. Um, we've got a lot of great things on the roadmap this year. I think some things that'll surprise people. Um, which is a lot of fun. And I totally agree. This is a dynamic industry. There's a ton of value still to be created. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun over the next five years to see what happens here. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if folks are interested in learning more about Breezeway, I will have links to their website in the show notes below. I will also have Jeremy's LinkedIn profile linked below, if that's cool. Um, so if folks want to connect with 
with you, Jeremy, they can do so via the show notes below. But thank you so much for your time, man. And um, yeah, just thank you for all the work that you've done to, to better the industry. I really do think it's better off because Jeremy exists uh, in the industry. So thanks, thanks for building what you've built. Amazing. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote-unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.